So here we are then with the first of our two-part talks on faith and suffering. And as Mark said, we're going to look at that sort of generally today, looking at the whole sweep of the Bible and where we find ourselves and why we find ourselves sometimes in this world of suffering. And then next week, Mark is going to speak some more about COVID specifically and how we might share our faith with people in this context. And suffering is one of those questions which comes up a lot. It's probably one of, if not the, most discussed questions about Christianity. And yet the reality, of course, is that it's not just a theory, but behind that question is a real and personal suffering for lots of people in lots of different ways. So let's pray as we think about this really important subject together. Heavenly Father, would you help us to not just see this as something in theory, but to realise that often in this world there are things that people go through which are really hard, that often seems unfair, unbalanced. Would you help us, Lord, to see how your word speaks into our situations and offers us hope, even in the face of suffering. Save us from glib answers, easy responses. Instead, help us to wrestle with the truth of a God who entered into our world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like you to do first, though, is to think of your favourite story, okay? It could be a book that you've read, it could be a film that you've watched, or some other story that you've heard, okay? Just picture that for me for a second. Now, think about the opening. Think about the very first scene of that book or film, if you can remember it, or just the sorts of things that are going on at the beginning. And now think about the end of the story. What happens at the end? And in between those two things, between sort of the beginning and the end, as it were, there's some sort of journey, some sort of development. Things happen, things change. And I'm going to bet that if you have a favourite story, and it's a good story, you've probably watched the film or read the book or heard that story more than once. And yet those feelings on that journey in the middle, between the beginning and the end, that path that the story takes you on, they'll still feel very real. You'll feel the emotions, the tension, the joys of it and the sadnesses. All those feelings will be there even though you know what's coming at the end. That's what a good story, a good book or a good film can do for us. Now the Bible makes the claim that it is revealing to us the overarching story of history. The very beginning of creation all the way through to a new creation that God is going to make. And we, as people living now, are somewhere in between those two points. We don't know exactly how far along we are. We don't know how much time there is left. But we're somewhere between those two points. We're in the middle. We're in the unfolding of that story. And that, I think, will be helpful for us to understand, from a Christian perspective, why we still experience suffering. It's part of that journey, part of that story, from the beginning through to the end. The first thing I want to do, though, is go right back to the beginning. Take it right back to Genesis and think about the origins and think about how the Bible explains why there is suffering in the world. We can have faith in Jesus because he explains the reason for our suffering. Genesis 3 takes us back to the very earliest stages of humanity. It shows us this good and beautiful world that God has made, but it's one that's been spoiled and broken. They act for themselves. They act in a way of saying it's not good enough to be just a part of God's creation with these wonderful responsibilities and gifts. We want to be like God's ourselves. The temptation that the serpent puts to them is this, eat and your eyes will be opened. 
and you will be like God. Now, humanity from then onwards has followed that same path of saying no to our creator and trying to make ourselves the gods over our own lives. If there's anything this year has shown us, it's that we're not in control. And yet we try to be these little gods that are in no need of our actual creator. It's the heart of the problem. That's what the Bible calls sin, that rebellion and rejection and saying no to God. We've been entrusted with great power and responsibility as human beings. And yet what have we done with it? Well, actually, you don't even need to look that far back to the origins. You can just look around the world today. We've damaged each other. We've damaged ourselves. We've damaged the creation that God's made, and we've damaged our relationship with our creator. Those results that Genesis pictures are still resonating today. Pain and death. Abuse of power. Damage to God's world and the difficulties at times of providing food. All the things that we call suffering stem from our rejection of God and his goodness. Now, this is a good and beautiful world. Today, as I film this, the sun is streaming in and I can see the blue skies through the windows. There's so much to celebrate and give thanks for. It's not all doom and gloom. It is a wonderful, beautiful world that we get to enjoy, but it's damaged. And that, as it were, is the opening scene of what the Bible paints as history story. And we can have faith because there is an explanation. The suffering that we experience that's come into this world is not ignored. It's not whitewashed over. We don't just plow on with blinkers as if there isn't real problems and issues going on all around us and always has been since the very beginning. Genesis and the origins says you can have faith in part because the Bible gives an explanation. And it's so much easier to trust the answer when we've been shown what the heart of the problem is. And the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. So that's the first thing. That's the first part of this, I think, is recognizing that we can have faith because God explains the origins of our suffering, the reason for it. The second thing I want to say is that we can have faith because God shared our suffering. I wonder if you've ever have read a book or started watching a film and you've turned it off right after the beginning because it wasn't what you were expecting or you didn't think it was any good or the acting was terrible or whatever it might be. I wonder if you ever think you might go back to them, just see if things have changed and you're more open to where they're going. Well, if we left the Bible right back there in the origins, the story would be pretty depressing. It would seem pretty hopeless. But the rest of the story of the Bible, from that part onwards, is the story of God keeping a promise to put that world right. And he does it by entering into our suffering, by becoming one of us. Where we've all messed it up, God becomes a human so that he can live a life which doesn't mess things up, which lives in a perfect relationship to the creator. We're about to celebrate that, of course, at Christmas. Jesus being born into the, into the world. Now, I've just had a baby myself, so thinking about Christmas and some of the carols we sing sort of seems a bit silly, really. It's all pictured as being so kind of cute and perfect and wonderful. Silent night with a newborn baby. No crying he makes. Don't think so. Actually, it was a very real, very human birth. Fully God and fully man entering into our world. And even there in the Christmas story itself, 
there's a hint that this baby that was born was going to share in our suffering. When he's presented at the temple, Mary is told by the prophet who was there, a sword will pierce your heart also. This baby, who we like to think of as being so cute and perfect in this snow-draped scene of the shepherds with wonderful beards and beautiful looks on their faces. But actually the reality is that this baby was born into a world that has been broken and he came in order to suffer and die to put it right. That's what the message of Christianity has been ever since he grew up and lived his life, performed his miracles, gave his extraordinary teaching and most importantly of all, died on the cross and rose again. Peter, his closest follower, the apostle, said this soon after Jesus had risen from the dead. This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold, that his Messiah would suffer. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said in Acts 17, an explanation that the Messiah, Jesus, had to suffer and rise from the dead. And even the prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years before Jesus, said this about how he had, would come to suffer. Listen to these words. He was despised and rejected by humans, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We can have faith because God entered our world and shared in our suffering. He bled human blood. He cried human tears. He died an inhuman death. For us, for the suffering that we had caused. He did it because he loves us. He did it to bring glory to God. And so at that point in the, the middle of the middle, the very heart of the story, where history itself pivots, God entered into and took our pain on himself. He's felt it. He's lived it. He's died it borrow the words of a song you'll hear in certain football grounds. When you walk with Jesus through life, when you invite him into your heart, you will never walk alone. He knows. He sees. He understands our suffering. And he stepped in and did something about it. So we can have faith because God explains our suffering and because he enters our suffering. But thirdly, finally, perhaps most importantly of all for this question, the God who explains it, the God who shares it, is the same God who promises an end to it. We can have faith because God will end our suffering. You see, Jesus' death wasn't simply him joining us in solidarity, recognizing that things were bad and just sort of jumping in and saying, well, I'll be with you as well. It was that, but it was so much more than that. If it was only that, it would be like if you were drowning and there's someone you see on the side who's got a life ring, but instead of throwing it to you, they just jump in the water with you and say, well, I thought you might like someone to share your suffering. Now, what you need is that person to throw it in and pull you out. 
And that is what Jesus' suffering has done. It wasn't simply a solidarity. It was also our salvation. It was deliberate and it was purposeful. He took it on. He beat it. He faced death itself and rose again so that suffering would not have an everlasting hold on us. And so the Bible moves the story forward. It looks to the future and portrays what the end of the story will be for those who are trusting in Jesus. In the book of Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, John is given a vision of what this new creation will be like, what it will be like one day once Jesus has come back and brought his everlasting kingdom. He says this, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Do you remember the cause of the suffering, that reading in Genesis 3? They eat from the forbidden tree and they bring in a curse. Well, here at the end, it's the tree of life yielding fruit for the healing of the nations and we're specifically told that no longer will there be any curse. All the hurt and the pain and the brokenness comes undone. See, in the beginning, the tree is the source of the curse, where the fruit is. In the middle of the story, the tree is where the Savior was hung up, crucified to die. And then at the end of the story in Revelation, the tree is the tree of life. And there is no more curse. He became cursed for us on the tree so that the curse of that tree is replaced by the life of a new one. Or another way to remember the story, another way to picture it, perhaps even to share it, is to think of it in terms of those words, take and eat. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent says to Adam and Eve, take and eat and you will be like God. But in the end, all they get is death. In the middle of the story, Jesus sits down with his disciples the day before he dies, breaks the bread, he pours out the wine, the fruit of the tree, and he says, take and eat. Only this time, it's our death which is substituted for life. And then eventually, one day we'll be with him and the picture is of a heavenly banquet where we can take and eat without fear or shame because we have life in him forever. Our lives, yours, mine, can be a part of that story, the true story. Suffering which is so real and so painful and I've had such a small share of it compared to so many other people, which is, is so damaging and so difficult, can find its answer in the wonderful promises of God. In that story which moves from an explanation to an answer to a promise. In Christ, our suffering will come to an end. So what do we take away from it? I hope the story illustration is helpful. Seeing where we are in the unfolding of history helps us to explain why we still experience suffering today, but it also points forward and says there will be an end when Jesus returns. We can believe that God does have the power to answer our prayers and take suffering away, but also when he doesn't, he uses it somehow for our good. In Daniel 3, they're about to be thrown into the furnace. You know the story from Sunday school probably. Daniel's friends say, if you throw us into the furnace, our God will rescue us 
But even if he doesn't, we will worship him and trust in him. What happens? In the furnace, there's a fourth person, a human-like person, who sees them through. Well, think of Corrie ten Boom, a much more recent example. She was a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp. Many of her close relatives died in that camp. She knew what suffering really meant. And yet she was able to, through the rest of her life, point people to Jesus as the answer and the companion and the victor over suffering. She used a poem to talk about how we see the tapestry from the underneath. We see the threads, the broken ends, and the the messiness that you're not meant to see when you're weaving a tapestry. But one day, God will show us up from the other side around. We'll see how God has taken even the worst things that have happened in this world and somehow weaved it together to create the beautiful picture of eternity. God explains it. He enters into it. He promises to put an end to it. Even in the midst of our suffering, we can know that hope. We can trust in Jesus. We can have his presence leading us through on this promise that he makes, paid for in his own blood. One day in comparison, that eternity with Jesus for all those who trust in him will begin And we will experience what our life was meant to be like forever and ever and ever without end. I'm going to finish with a quote from one of my favourite authors, C.S. Lewis, at the end of the last battle, the book of Narnia, the final one. As they sail off into this new eternity, it says this. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before.